The Pac-12 wants to have it both ways, but Oregon State and Washington State, yeah, they're going to hit a crossroads eventually. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your daily source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth, realignment, portal, coaching, carousel, and more. We've got it all covered. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Use code Locked On for $20 off your very first purchase. Ole Miss and Alabama talk their win totals, their offseason. Yeah, we got that to get to on today's show. But we start out west, where Oregon State and Washington State, a situation I greatly empathize with, want to have their cake and eat it too, which is not an expression I fully understand. Because if you have your cake, you just have it in front of you. And of course, you want to then eat it. I don't understand where that expression comes from. But that's where they're coming from. So The college football playoff will, in fact, be a 5 plus 7 format for 2024 and 2025. Nothing, I repeat, nothing, not a television deal, not a structure, not a revenue share, nothing has been agreed upon for the new playoff for 2026 and beyond. That includes number of teams, automatic qualifiers. The Big Ten and the SEC might want to get more automatic qualifiers in there, which I think is ridiculous. I think all automatic qualifiers are patently absurd, but hey, nobody ever listens to me on these particular matters. But the Pac-12 or Pac-2, if you prefer, is putting themselves in a bind because for 2024 and 2025, Oregon State and Washington State will receive a full college football playoff power five distribution to their athletic department of six million dollars they have hired Teresa gould who's been a deputy under both larry scott and george klyovkov to be their new commissioner i suspect that her first task is to build relationships to try to rebuild the conference the debate here that Kirk Schultz is still going to have with the college football playoff committee and is not going to get a lot of support from, at least that's what the early indications are, are for Oregon State and Washington State to get a Power 5 share beyond 2025. Here's where the crossroads comes into play. I think that the Beavs and the Cougs could make an argument to say, hey, we should be getting a $6 million share just like everybody else. You're giving one to Notre Dame, who's an independent. We're essentially like that. We're in a power conference. We're still power-capable universities and whatnot. We deserve that full $6 million. While on the other side, they appear to be lining up to rebuild the conference. Who's going to be in that new Pac-12 conference? Well, I would suspect teams like Boise State, or universities rather, Boise State, Fresno State, you could have Tulane in there. There's a whole host of options, right? Mountain West and American. If you're making the argument right now, though, that we should get a a Power 5 share, which I agree with because we're in the Power 5 here, once you rebuild the league and you have done so with at least six, but probably eight to ten, formerly group of five schools, that argument is not going to fly. And this is the crossroads where the pack find themselves. Do you not rebuild the conference ever from a football standpoint and you just compete as independents? 
and play a Mountain West Plus schedule every year because both teams are going to be able to continue their rivalries with former Pac-12 members Oregon and Washington in the Civil War and the Apple Cup, right? Those have been scheduled out, and it looks like those will continue, and I'm glad that they will. But are you going to be able to guarantee that that you'll find other Power 4 opponents? Maybe they're just sitting back and waiting. Maybe before they decide whether or not they want to fully commit to a rebuild, which as I've talked about here on the show is what all the indications seem to be. Maybe they're waiting to see what happens with Florida State. Because if Florida State were to leave and go to, I don't know, the Big Ten or the SEC, which is where they want to go to, would they bring Clemson, Miami, North Carolina with them? I don't know. Maybe. They could. Possibly. Nothing feels out of the table or or nothing feels out of the realm of possibility at this point in time. So they could be waiting to see what happens there. But on the Power 5 front, they still want to be considered a Power 5 conference. That can't happen. That cannot happen. The only way that Oregon State and Washington State are ever deemed to be universities competing in the power conferences in college football is if the ACC or the Big 12 scoop them up. The Big 10 and the SEC, there's a 0% chance there. Down the line, down the line, I could see it. Big 12 or the ACC, ACC maybe wants to have a West Coast pod with Cal and Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, just like the Big 10 does with Oregon, Washington, USC, and, and UCLA. Maybe that's what they want to do. Maybe the Big 12 wants to expand West, not now, but sometime in the future. That's the only time you're going to be considered a power conference and get that revenue share. But if that amount of money and the difference is $5 million, if you were considered a group of five school getting that level of uh, of money as a result of the expanded college football playoff, you get $1 million. If you're in the power conferences, you get $6 million. That's, that's, that, that's, that's quite a conundrum. Because to those schools and their athletic departments, $5 million might be worth quite a bit. And if you allow the PAC as a legal entity to fully go away and you compete as independents in football and associate or remain affiliated with the West Coast Conference or join the Mountain West, whatever you want to do with all the other sports, if that remains to be the case, I think the argument can readily be made that Oregon State and Washington State should get that Power 5 share. But you're going to have to choose. That's what the that's what the beeves and the cougs are going to have to come down to. Do you want to have the five million dollars to to add to your athletic department? It's not like that's the entire funding for the department. There are a lot of other sources, but in this world in which they currently don't have media rights, even for their twenty twenty four home games, right? All their road games are covered because it belongs to the host site and the media deal that's tied in there. But do you want to be responsible? for selling your home football games a la carte? Do, do, you want, do you want to be responsible for that? Or do you want to have a conference that has a media deal and can give you something like that? And what I've suggested is when the Mountain West media deal expires after the next two seasons, they go get the best teams from the Mountain West, best teams from the American, and they go to the previous media rights partners, which is Fox and CBS for the Mountain West, and say, what would you like to bid for this particular conference and the television broadcasts that, that, that are granted to you? What do you want? I mean, that, that could be a sort, but is that going to be enough? I don't know. I, I, I honestly do not know how they make that decision. That comes down to the university presidents and athletic directors getting together and putting their heads together and saying, okay, what are our budget restrictions? How much would we actually need this amount of money? 
because you will not be able to have it both ways. I do truly think that they could go to the committee and say, okay, fine, we're just going to be independents. The entity that is known as the Pac-12 is done. We'll figure out our broadcasting situation. We'll sell games individually, whatever. We'll make it work, but we want that $6 million. I think they could say yes to that. They will not say yes to treating the entire Pac-12 made up of Boise State and Fresno State and, I don't know, San Jose State, UNLV, Air Force, Tulane, Memphis. They will not give all of those schools $6 million. Maybe they go for a special exemption or something like what they've done with SMU because SMU is getting a half share of that revenue because they're going from the G5 to the Power 5. But you are not going to get the Pac-12 to be considered a power conference. It will not happen. If you want to be considered power schools individually, you can do that. I think you can absolutely do that. But the conference as a power league, those days are done. You can build the best group of five conference in the country. That's fine. But understand what comes with that. And which side of that coin do you want to be on? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Ole Miss, though, boy, I don't care who you are. You have to look at what the Rebels are doing this offseason and say... 10 or more wins? Yeah, I see it. I definitely see it, and we'll talk about why. After, of course, we talk about game time. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Right now, all users get $100 off when you buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. So you see the view from your seat before you arrive, so you know what to expect. They give you an all-in price, show, so they show your total up front, and you know you're getting a great deal before you check out. And you buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. It's that easy. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Right now, all GameTime users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Terms apply. Just download the GameTime app. Use code VEGAS100 for 100 bucks off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Ole Miss over nine and a half wins. Like it, I love it, as Colin Coward would say. Stephen Willis, Locked On Ole Miss, joining me here on Locked On College Football. I look at that win total, Stephen. I think it's reflective of the strong offseason that Ole Miss has had, the continuity they have, quarterback and head coach returning. There are not a lot of premier programs or any programs, frankly, that can say they have their head coach and quarterback returning from the previous season. Quinchon Judkins gone, but a lot of talent coming in via the portal. I look at their nine and a half win total and I say, give me that over every day in the week, according to our friends at FanDuel. You know, I can't say that I disagree. It's a situation, if you look at their schedule, they win one game out of LSU, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Two of them are at home. If they win one of those games and they don't screw up the rest of the year, that's, that's an over right there. This is a team that won 11 games overall, 10 during the regular season, so they would have gone over this season if the number was nine and a half. Yeah, I think this is a situation where I don't want to say it's a slam dunk to go over, but I would say the probability is more over than not. I, I completely agree. I think it's more likely you go 12 and 0 than 8 and 4 or or even maybe 9 and 3. I, I really like what Ole Miss has done this year. And the schedule has got some key breaks because you mentioned those kind of headliner games. The LSU hosting Oklahoma, hosting Georgia, two of the three at home and 
you know, maybe you'd rather have Oklahoma on the road. They're going to have a true freshman quarterback. If you were to make that the easiest of the three, it's not going to be easy to go into Baton Rouge, into Death Valley and get a win over Brian Kelly and company. But it's not going to be impossible either because they're working in a new quarterback down there, whereas Ole Miss has got Jackson Dart coming back. So I, I think LSU, at least at some level, has a bit of an unknown component to it. I, I just look at the schedule and, and the way it starts. I mean, Furman, Middle Tennessee, at Wake Forest, Georgia Southern, Kentucky, four of the five at home. I don't think there's a chance Ole Miss stumbles there. You look at what Lane Kiffin has done early in the schedule in the last couple of seasons. I think that is a slam dunk 5 and 0 start. I am I'm, I'm leaning towards 11 and 1 as a really likely outcome for Ole Miss right here. Yeah, the one thing that I think everybody needs to pay attention to, Ole Miss has been 7 and 0 in going into Baton Rouge twice in the last 10 years. They've lost both football games. That game gets really tricky when Ole Miss is good. LSU likes to claim they don't have a rival when Ole Miss is good. They definitely act like they do. That's going to be a big game for them. So I expect Tiger Stadium to be a little bit of a cauldron, potentially an ABC primetime type atmosphere um, going there, broadcasting that. And I, I would expect that LSU is going to give Ole Miss their absolute best. But you're right, the home game against Oklahoma, Jackson Arnold's a great quarterback. I saw him down here at the Under Armour All-American game. But he still is going to be a first-year starter in the Southeastern Conference. Georgia, really, really good football team. Um, Carson Beck, I think, has a chance to be an elite SEC quarterback and go in and be a high draft pick and all of that stuff. Hard to win football games on the road. So I, I, you're right. I hate to be called a homer, and everybody loves to call me a homer, but I can see 12-0 and happening next season. I see that probably more likely than eight and four like you said i i would pick 12 and 0 before eight and four now i would go 11 and one or nine and three before i picked either of those particular numbers because i think between oklahoma and lsu i'd expect ole miss to probably win one the oklahoma game being the more likely of the two because that game will be played in oxford but the georgia game is intriguing to me because that game is also being played at home for the Rebels. And there just aren't any other games that I look at on their schedule and think, oh, they could stumble here. I mean, Florida on the road, eh, Ole Miss has got a better roster. Ole Miss has got a better quarterback. Ole Miss, I think, has a better coach. They're going at Arkansas. That's another road game. At South Carolina, they're going to have a roster advantage there. Well, what about the Egg Bowl? What about rivalry week? Things get crazy around that time of year. That's true. I think this is a complete rebuild year for Mississippi State. I don't think Jeff Levy is going to have a, a big turnaround in year one, which isn't to say that he can't succeed there. But I just look at the roster or, or the, the the rosters on Ole Miss's schedule, and I say, who's got it better than 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 the Rebels do? I mean, Georgia and I, maybe Missouri. No, I, but, but but Missouri's not even on the schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about having a schedule similar to Ole Miss. The two teams in the SEC that have the best chance of just making a weird, like, elite-type run is probably Ole Miss and Missouri. And Missouri, they get Alabama, who's not as good as Georgia, but they are on the road in Tuscaloosa. And that could be a little bit tricky as well. But yeah, you, have I, Texas, I, you have Georgia. You avoid Texas. I think that's important for Ole yep. Miss football. Yeah, playing playing Texas or playing Oklahoma instead of Texas. I think that's a huge scheduling break. And there's no Alabama on the schedule either. Yeah, because we all know that Alabama, 
whatever it is, they're just in Lane Kiffin's head. And that's the way it's been for the last four years. He, he acted differently. All of that happened. Nick Saban, now that he is out the door, maybe that goes away a little bit. But while Nick Saban was there, Nick Saban owned Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and here's the crazy thing. Ole Miss and Alabama, same win total in 2024. And right now, I think Kalen DeBoer is going to do great with the Crimson Tide. I'm going to talk about a roster addition he got recently because their roster is slowly climbing their way back up in, in where I would have them nationally. But when I look at this Ole Miss roster, Stephen, and compare it to everyone else that's on the Rebel schedule, who do you look at and say unequivocally, this team has a better roster than Ole Miss? I've got Georgia, and that's that. That's it. That's, that's why that's I love the Rebels right. in this spot. Yeah, and Georgia's got, like, their whole defense is going to be, like, top 100 football players. I mean, the talent that they've assembled in Athens is absolutely off the chart. Um, Ole Miss, though, through the transfer portal and everything else, they have a chance to have the best defensive line in the SEC. They have a chance to have the best wide receiver room in the SEC. And a quarterback that, while he might not be the most highly rated, he is clearly a top 10 Heisman Trophy candidate. The tight end room is absolutely stacked. Heck, Ole Miss added 40% of the Joe Moore offensive line winning award unit from the Washington Huskies. They brought them down as well. So offensively, they're going to be fine. And defensively, I think that's where they're going to actually win games in 2024 because where they gave up 24 points last year, this year they're only going to give up 17, which means you're going to ask that offense to score 20 points a game to win it. Yeah, they're going to be able to do that. Last year's game that, that stood out the most on the Ole Miss schedule was that crazy, wild shootout with, with LSU. And I think that game raised concerns that have been raised of Lane Kiffin's teams before and a lot of other offensive coaches, which is, well, what do you have on the defensive side of the ball? And they've added guys like Walter Nolan along the defensive line. He was the number one transfer portal recruit, according to 24-7 Sports, at that position. And I think even close to overall, he, he's just that highly touted of, of a guy coming in there. But... Talk about the defensive side of the ball, Stephen. What do you expect, and what does Ole Miss need to win 10 or more games this year? Yeah, last year was all about putting a Band-Aid on the defense. There was a lot of G5-level transfers that came in on Ole Miss's defense. They were a good defensive unit. But there were a couple of teams that could just out-talent Ole Miss. LSU out-talented Ole Miss's defense on the outside. Georgia out-talented Ole Miss on, on the outside and the inside. They knew they had to get better. They knew they had to get bigger. They went out and got Walter Nolan, as you know, Princely Amon Mielin. They got him. Chris Paul. Their linebacker groups next year are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6'1", 6'2", 240 pounds for those two positions. They were about 200 and 215 last year. So they've gotten significantly bigger with better players. And if you look at the starters they've gotten in the back end, Lewis Moore, Key Lawrence, um, Trey Amos, um, they even got the kid from Michigan who had all the freak combine numbers and Amorian Walker. They are going to have athletic and combine skills. The potential is off the charts. Now, they do still have to coalesce. That's one of the problems in this transfer portal world. world. Um, but I think they're going to be able to do it. And the talent on that defensive line means that the back end of the defense, which is talented enough to play man coverage, all of a sudden they have a half a second Lest where they have to cover the receiver. The linebacker's bigger means that you can't run the ball because last year Jared Ivey played some three technique at 260 pounds. In the SEC, as you know, that's problematic. 
especially against teams like Georgia. That's not going to happen this year. And because of that, I'm expecting Ole Miss to shave a touchdown off of their points per game. And defensively, you're, you better pack a lunch against these guys this season. Ole Miss over nine and a half wins. Hammer it while you can before it moves. Steven Willis locked on Ole Miss Rebels. Thanks so much for stopping by, Steven. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime you need me, I'm here. Alabama's roster, a lot better than it felt uh, about a month and a half ago. That's coming up next. Before we get to the Crimson Tides roster building, I want you to know that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. They've got all the college football action you could possibly want right now. National championship odds, over-unders for every Power 4 college football team, Heisman odds, individual games can even be wagered upon in 2024. I know, feels like we're a long ways away. You want to feel closer to the action? Go check out FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to find everything that you need. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Remember that time that Alabama's roster situation felt chaotic and there were so many changes and who was going to come onto the staff and who was going to do this and who was going to do that and who was going to stay and who was going to leave, who was going to commit, who was going to decommit? Kalen DeBoer has settled that situation down and gotten Alabama's roster not to where it was under Nick Saban. I don't think this is a top five roster in college football, but has it improved dramatically over the last month? Yes, unquestionably. Many moons ago, I recorded a segment here on the show and took a lot of very hurtful blowback, I will say, in the comments section, in which I said that Alabama's roster was was not top 15 in all of college football. That was very controversial, very, very controversial. Well, time has passed, and uh, Kalen DeBoer has made some notable additions. The latest one is Keon Sapp. So Alabama lost a player by the name of Caleb Downs. You might have heard of him. He came in as a true freshman. He was, uh, let's just say, an all-around stud on the back end of that defense. If you were going to go about and try to replace Caleb Downs with an instant impact transfer that could be almost all, perhaps, of what Downs' potential is, maybe a slightly lower ceiling, but give you a plug-and-play starter that will continue being a plus player at that position, Keon Sab is that guy. Keon Sab was just part of one of the best defenses we have seen in all of college football in recent memory. Carried the Wolverines, or the defense did, not just Keon Sab, of course. But that defense helped carry them to a national championship, a 15-0 season, and a win over Alabama, as it were. What a crazy time. That was like a month and a half ago that all that took place. Time flies when you're having fun, which we always try to do here on the show. So Keon Sab is the latest addition. And since I recorded that particular very controversial segment, here's a list of players that, that Alabama has added. They've had some staff turnover as well. They hired Nick Sheridan as their offensive coordinator. They had a co-defensive coordinator, a defensive staff coach depart to Tennessee. William Inge is no longer going to be there. But I'll get to the coaching moves here in just a moment. I just want to talk about the roster that he's going to go with into uh, the SEC. Alabama's win total, according to FanDuel, is at nine and a half. I don't know that I've got a strong lean that. I was just letting that sit out there for, for a moment, just so you could think, oh, nine and a half? Oh, boy, I don't know. 
Well, are they going to go nine and three? Are they going to go ten and two? We're going to see. Here's a list of players since I recorded that segment uh, way long ago, about about a month ago now. Uh, that Alabama has added. Damani Jackson, that's a former five-star cornerback recruit. They've also got three five-star DBs coming in, two corners and a, uh, a safety five-star receiver as well in Ryan Williams. He recommitted to Alabama. They added Nikhil Betran. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Offensive tackle transfer from Texas A&M. Good luck moving him around. He's 6'6", 340 pounds. Jeremy Bernard would be a a high-quality number two or maybe a low-end number one at, I don't know, every Power 4 football program in the country. He was the number four in Washington's receiver room last year. If, if you're looking for some veterans, some returning production capability, proven commodities at the receiver spots for Jalen Milrow at, at quarterback, assuming he doesn't get a push from Austin Mack, which I don't think he would. I don't, I don't think he would, but hey, that's why they have spring football to, to see, see how these sorts of things play out on the field rather than just on paper or in theory, of course. But Jeremy Bernard is a guy that comes into the wide receiver room and you go, oh, okay. I, I know what I'm getting from that dude right there. I know what he's capable of being. I don't know what Ryan Williams can be at wide receiver. I know what he could be, but I don't know what he is, right? I, I don't have concrete data to support the fact that Ryan Williams is going to live up to his potential. But you know what's going to help him do that? Having a veteran receiver, uh, Jeremy Bernard is that. This is his third power football program that he's been at. He was Michigan State, Washington, now at Alabama. And having someone else so that Williams isn't drawing all of the attention, assuming he's a part of the offense, which I certainly suspect him to be. So for Jeremy Bernard to be going there, yeah, that, that's a notable addition for Jalen Milrow. Because remember, he lost Isaiah Bond. They, they, don't, they don't have Isaiah Bond on the outside, but you add in Jeremy Bernard. I like that move quite a bit. Now they bring in Keon Sab. They'd added Parker Brailsford, who was a freshman All-American in the uh, one of the highest graded centers on Pro Football Focus a year ago for the Huskies, the uh, centerpiece, pun intended there, because Troy Faltano was the best offensive lineman. But Parker Brailsford might have been second. Roger Rosengarten was very good at right tackle. But Brailsford was instrumental. There were questions about him, understandably so, going into last season. Yeah, he held down the fort and then some of the center position for a unit that went on to win the Joe Moore Award. So you've got him coming in. LT Overton is in there as well along the defensive line. He was a part of the transfer portal class. And and, and Brailsford's in, and, and you got Betran going in there. And boy, suddenly you look up and go, so in the last month, Alabama has added how many starters in there? And one that I want to talk about in particular, because I don't know how often you can rely on true freshmen. Sometimes you can. Caleb Down's a great example of that. But he's he's out. Keon Sab is in. Damani Jackson is a really interesting one to me. Because Damani Jackson has all the physical traits to be an elite cornerback in college football. Is he going to be? That's going to come down to his coaching. That's going to come down to his coaching. I say that because he went to USC. I don't know that he's been sniffed around, you know, with regards to NFL draft potential or going up boards or All-American or anything like that. You know why? He was playing football for Alex Grinch, who we can establish at this point. I don't know what Wisconsin is doing hiring as, as their defensive backs coach, but okay, you do whatever you like. Alex Grinch had no business calling the USC defense the last couple of years. He had no business being that defensive coordinator at the University of Southern California. 
He, he, he did not. That's who Damani Jackson was learning from. But suddenly, you take a guy with his traits and some experience as well, and you give him a couple of previously head coaches on that side of the ball. Yeah, William Inge is going to Tennessee. It's another staff defection for Kalen DeBoer. But Nick Sheridan and Jamarcus Shepard are going to be the co-offensive coordinators, though Sheridan is, I believe, going to be the play caller there for the Crimson Tide. There are guys who are intimately familiar with what DeBoer wants to do offensively. We'll see who ends up actually calling the plays. Maybe it'll end up being Kalen DeBoer. But on the defensive side of the ball, back to Damani Jackson here, who this offense will have to go up against it in, in, in practice. Kane Womack was the head coach at South Alabama. Went 22-16. and 16. Maurice Linguist was the head coach at Buffalo. Those are the two guys headlining the defensive staff for Kalen DeBoer and company. So you bring in players like Keon Sab and Damani Jackson. You were already bringing in LT Overton. And suddenly, that Alabama roster is just crawling up the roster rankings from where it was a month ago. It's not a top five roster in all of college football. But is it back inside the top 10? It certainly feels that way. Because when in a month's time, you add up to five new starters, two of which are going to be on the defensive side of the ball, these are tangible moves in the right direction. And I think that for Alabama, it could very well come down to how well does Jalen Milrow fit into Kalen DeBoer's offense. Because when you watch what Milrow did a season ago, it is not like what Michael Penix did at Washington. Not at all. Now, Milrow's deep ball developed greatly over the course of the year. His passing ability was something that improved tremendously in the second half of the season, helped propel Alabama to the SEC championship and the run to the Rose Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal where they ultimately lost to Michigan. But what was the final play call of Nick Saban's career? Weird thing to say, but it was. It was a quarterback run. It was an option. You know, he could have swung it out, but decided to take off and run. Well, that's not something that Kalen DeBoer and, and his offensive staff were, were doing a whole heck of a lot of last year with Michael Penix. They want a quarterback who will sit, slice and dice you from the pocket. Can Jalen Milrow do that? That, more than anything, may define Alabama's success in 2024. How well does that quarterback, Jalen Milrow, fit into that offense? Because DeBoer has run this system in Indiana. He did it at Fresno State. He did it at Washington. He's not adapting to the players on the field. He's going to run his system and see if the players can adapt to what he does. That'll be the question for the Crimson Tide. Lots of roster moves, lots of staff moves for Kalen DeBoer and company. But overall, I think he has steadied the ship. The boat was rocking. It was, it was going side to side like Pirates of the Caribbean when Jack Sparrow's rocking the ship. But now they flipped it upside down, up is down, and they have come back from the land of the dead. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.